All right, so let's take a moment, okay? A, a moment of, of deep breath, and uh, I, I, need to, I need to make you aware of something because I don't think, you, you are in one of those situations where you are in a healthy church that is, that is thriving, that is growing, that is, I mean, look around. I mean, you just, it's exciting. Um, not every church does a baby D. And it's sad because, because some churches have just become content with where they are. They don't reach out to the next generation. They don't, they don't um, give moms and dads support uh, and love and care. And so these moms and dads will either go to churches that do offer those things or they won't go to church at all. Um, that's not the case with Fort Caroline. And so we have to celebrate these things because this is, should Jesus tarry, we just saw the future of the church, which is going to be super exciting, by the way. That's very exciting. I have one young man. Uh, he's going to be a preacher, I think. <laughs> that cat didn't want to leave the stage. I was like, bro, come on. We'll, we'll preach this thing together. It'll be great. All right, if you have your copy of God's Word, we're going to the book of Philemon today, chapter 1. Uh, if you get to Philemon chapter 2, you're not in Philemon, okay? So uh, Philemon is one of those one-chapter books. Um, I, I want to say to all the moms out there, I want to say Happy Mother's Day. Uh, it's, uh, uh, motherhood is a privilege. It is, it is um, yes, and, and worthy, worthy. You are, you, you are worthy for, for dealing with all of the, uh, the bowel movements and the vomit uh, and, and teenagerdom and, uh, and, and all the things that, that, that you, you go through, you don't get nearly enough recognition. We want you to know we love you. We care for you. Um, so Mother's Day is actually an interesting, is kind of an interesting day um, because, because of the, the wide range of emotions. And I don't want to take anything away from moms, um, but, but women as a whole deal with, with a whole gamut, a wide array of emotions. Uh, for some, you know, we have moms that are in the room, uh, grandmas who are in the room who are part of baby dedication, who got to watch their, their kids and grandkids, who got to dedicate their children to the Lord. Um, there are, are just as many women that, that are out there who would love to be a mom who aren't, who aren't capable uh, because of infertility or whatever. Um, there, there are people that are, there are women that are out there who are maybe, maybe for the first time you're, you're in, uh, you're living through Mother's Day and you've recently lost your mom, um, and you're grieving. Uh, we want you to know that, that we love you and you're seen, um, and we pray for you alongside of you. Um, you may be out there and you may say, say, pastor, I'm a mom, but I just didn't do it right. Like I wasn't good at it. And I made some mistakes and my relationship with my son or my daughter, uh, has suffered because of it. I want you to know there is grace for you, and there are second chances. And our God, the beauty of grace is that our God is a God of second and third and fourth and fifth chances. And it's never too late to make things right. And you may be grieving today because, because you, you had an estranged relationship with your mother, uh, and you never put things right before, um, before she, she passed. I want you to know that part of, of um, the grace of God is that that even in, the, in those moments, that God offers grace and care and compassion for us. And so uh, I, I want you to know that wherever you're sitting today, uh, that, that the God of creation loves you, he pursues you, and he wants, to, he wants to love you and care for you in your context, in your situation today. 
All right, I'm a guy. That is all I'm going to talk about Mother's Day today. Um, you, you know, I, I, I do, I, I love sermon planning. I love sermon calendaring because, um, uh, because I, I, love to, I love to preach through series. You don't, you know, you don't see me do many topical series. I, I like to teach through books wherever possible. Uh, and so uh, doing Philemon was a great idea uh, in November. And so, um, uh, and one thing I didn't take into consideration was that, that sometimes, we're, sometimes these things come down and they hit on, uh, like some of the harder sermons hit on, on holidays like, a, like Mother's Day. And so this is not going to be a traditional Mother's Day sermon. And so um, I, if you're here and you're waiting to hear a Proverbs 31 sermon, uh, David Jeremiah will probably preach one on the radio at some point today. You can probably listen to that. Uh, but that is what uh, we are going to be. We're going to be, be in the book of Philemon today. Uh, so last week we, we looked at the story of Philemon. We're going to read through the entire chapter. It's only 25 verses. Um, but we, we talked about this idea of reset, that we need to reset, that, that in, our, uh, in our relationships, that sometimes um, uh, we can say and we can do things that either hurt others or we've been hurt by others. And, and you kind of get into that weird, messy middle. Uh, and we just need, we need things to be reset. And so um, that's what this series is about. Onesimus is a, was a slave of a man named Philemon. And he, uh, he, he ran from uh, his, his debt to Philemon. Uh, he left, probably stole some things from Philemon, hurt him, and then uh, went all the way to Rome where he was imprisoned. He met a guy named Paul from Tarsus. Paul shared the gospel with him. He was radically saved. Paul, uh, in jail, Paul discipled uh, uh, Onesimus, and then eventually... Um, Onesimus told Paul that he was from Colossae, that he was a slave of a man named Philemon. And Paul says, you've got to go back and make things right. You are now, you are not who you once were. You have become a Christian. And because of who you are in Christ, you have to go make things right. Now, can you imagine uh, being told that, that you've got to go back to your, your, uh, the person that holds your debt and to, and to, to make things right? And so Paul says, hey, I'm going to write you a letter, all right? It's almost like a, like a doctor's note or when your, your parents are going to write a letter for you and, they're going to, and you're going to take it. It's going to be, uh, you know, I, want, I don't want to say a get out of jail free card, but it will be a way to kind of soften the blow because Paul at one point had shared the gospel with, with Philemon who in the church of Colossae uh, was actually meeting in Philemon's home. And so uh, he was hosting a house church. This letter was going to be read. I mean, can you imagine Onesimus going to the front door of Philemon's house, knocking on the door and going, surprise, it's me. And before, before Philemon goes, goes I'm going to kill you, okay? Onesimus says, here, read this. It's from Paul. He wants you to read this. And so they go into the house and sit down in front of the house church and Philemon reads this letter, and that is the letter that we are going to read together today. And it is all about, about Paul appealing. It's the, the word that Paul uses, that I, I'm begging you. I'm appealing to you for my brother Onesimus, who, by the way, is now your brother. And so this story is all about reconciliation. And so in a room this size, there's a great crowd here today. I don't know why y'all are all here, but y'all are all here today, right? You know, and, and in a crowd this size, I could probably venture to say with almost absolute certainty that we have all, everyone has dealt with hurt on some level in some way, shape, or form. There are unresolved, unreconciled relationships. Uh, maybe it's with a parent. Maybe it's with your mother. Um, and, 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 and you still have an opportunity to make things right. Uh, and so that's what we're going to be talking about today as we look at what this idea of reconciliation within the body looks like. And so we've come to the moment of truth here, right? So Paul has set things up. Um, this idea of reconciliation, uh, it, it, 
because our broken relationship, broken relationship with God have been restored through Christ, it can also uh, heal our broken relationships with one another. And Paul is going to be very delicate as he, as he navigates these feelings. And church, let me tell you, if you, if you haven't been in church your whole life, um, feelings, and I don't know why in churches our feelings are so delicate, but man, we get delicate. Like, like we are so easily and highly offended uh, and, and, and we're quick to go fully scorched earth. And so Paul is trying to avoid that between Onesimus and Philemon. And so Paul is going to, to, do it, to speak on Onesimus' behalf to Philemon with whom he carries influence. Rick Warren once said this. He once said that the purpose of influence is to speak for those who have no influence. And so that's what verses 8 through 16 is, is where we're going to spend our time today. We're going to look at, we're going to, just for the, the, the purpose of what we're doing, we're going to read the whole letter today. But the big, the big idea today is this, is that a new life in Christ can be the catalyst for an entirely new way of seeing the world and its people. Onesimus is seeing the world through a different set of lenses, a pair of fresh eyes, Okay. I told y'all a story one time when I was in seventh grade and we went and we were having our like scoliosis check and your hearing check and your eyes check. Like my spine was straight, my ears were good, but I was blind as a bat. I had no idea. Okay. Now I wear contacts and I can see you guys. All right. When we trust Jesus as Savior, it's almost like the first time. For those of you who wear glasses or contacts, you know what I'm talking about. That first time they put glasses on you and you go, wait, that's what the world looks like? Okay, that's, what, that's how Onesimus is feeling as he is seeing the world through the gospel lens for the first time in his life. So why don't we read, let's read this letter from Paul to Philemon, uh, and then we're going to dive into Onesimus knocking on the door at Philemon's house, and we're going to unpack a little bit. We're going to read the whole letter. He says, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, now, he plays the old man card. Can you, can you believe that? He says, he says, I'm an old man. He says, I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I told you last week, that was an important verse, verse 11. We're going we're gonna to come back to that. He says, I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever, not or no longer as a bondservant or a slave, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? 
So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, I write this with my own hand. I will repay it. And to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. All right. A couple things I want us to look at today as believers, as we, we filter this passage um, through the lens of the gospel, I want us to see three things. Number one is that as believers, as believers, we should practice humility. As believers, we should practice humility. Paul is going to make this appeal on Onesimus' behalf. Paul is not generally in his writings known for his tact. Right? That's why I love that man, because he just don't care. He just throws it right out there. And, and, and you know, one thing that I've struggled with as a pastor uh, is tact, because I've, I've never really employed it all that much. You know, I don't really have a lot of experience in it. But here Paul uses tact. He, he, he begins, look at how he begins his appeal. He says, he says, look, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do. And by the way, you know you should do it. You know you should take him back. He says, but out of the sake of love, I'm, I'm just going to ask. I'm going to gently ask you. Definition of tact might sound something like this. It is a skill which, without any sacrifice of honesty or truth, enables a person to say the right word at the right time in the right way and to do the right thing in the right way in any given situation. That's a lot. That's a lot of right. This is something that as believers, church, and look, I'm telling you, I'm not good at this. I am working on it through the process of sanctification. We as believers should let the gospel go before us. That let it be our banner. Let it be what goes forward. Paul could have said, look, look, by the way, I share the gospel with you. You are in the family of God because I share the gospel with you. You owe me a solid. Do me a solid. He didn't say that. He says, out of love, I'm going to ask you to do what you know is already correct. Look at verses 8 and 9. He uses the word accordingly. Some Bibles may say, therefore, or for this reason. And so what is the purpose? Why, why would Paul, what, what is, is the, the accordingly therefore? What is the therefore therefore? Well, it goes back to verses four through seven. Paul uses this, this idea of love and of faith that the church at Colossae came together out of the, lo the mutual love and faith they have in Christ. He says, I've derived, verse 7, I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. And we talked about this last week, that if you, if you have, have, have ill feelings or, or, or um, animosity towards someone else, unreconciled feelings, how can you be a refreshment to people who need to be had their hearts refreshed in Christ if you're just sitting there grinding on every little thing? Church, I'm not good at this, and I, I, I feel like a hypocrite preaching this to you today. Because I struggle with this. I struggle with it this week. Paul could have pulled rank. He could have said, I'm an apostle, do it. Right? He, he, he does have, he says, I could be bold. I could command you. But church, coerced love is not, 
genuine. If I have to manipulate you to do what you already know is right, you're not doing it out of of a genuine love for Christ. And so Paul says, Philemon, I know you've got it in you. I I know you you have the right to be angry. You have the right to to put uh, Onesimus back in chains. You have the right to subject him to whatever you want to do because you hold ownership over his debt. I'm asking you not to do that. So Paul is going to do what we as believers should practice. That we should appeal to believers to do the right thing because our lives, church, are no longer founded in getting our pound of flesh or doing what's right for us or doing what benefits us. The moment we were were loosed from the chains of sin and selfishness. Our lives became chained to Christ and the gospel became the most important thing in our world. So Paul says, I'm going to appeal appeal to you to do what you already know is true. I love, one thing I love about baby dedication, uh, and, and, you know, it is baby dedication because in some denominations, you know, it's, it's a, you know, there, there is, a, um, um, there is, is an ideology of imputing salvation or imputing righteousness uh, upon a child. Um, we call that either pedobaptism or we call it, um, you know, um, um, child salvation or baby salvation or whatever it happens to be. Um, what I love about baby dedication in, in our denomination is that, that we, we're not recognizing that, that a child is saved through the faith of their parents. That this is really a, a, so we call it baby dedication. This is really Christian family dedication where we dedicate the families to raise their children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. But one thing we always do, and you notice Matt, do it, he, he, he called out names. You know, the etymology of names means something. Scripture, names in scripture, they mean something. Uh, and, and, and this is no different. I want you to, to look at, um, I want, want you to look at, at verse 11. So, so what he says is, so Paul says, or, or, or verse 10, he says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is useful to you and to me. The name Philemon, the etymology of the name Philemon literally means the loving one. So when he says, I urge you to show love and compassion to Onesimus, he is literally imploring Philemon to do what his name already says he should do. But more importantly, verse 11, he, uh, Paul uses a play on words here, and I love this. Paul says, formerly Onesimus was useless to you. Did you know that the name Onesimus in, in the Greek literally means useful? So Paul uses a play on words. He says, there was a time when he was useless to you, but now he's living up to his name. He is useful now. And why was he useful? Was it because of something he could do? Was it, so, was it because of, of his bodily strength? Is something that, that he could do around, around Philemon's house? The thing that he, was, that he was in slavery to do anyway? No, because he had trusted Jesus Christ as Savior. He's now much more useful to Philemon than he ever had been. He says, he was formerly useless to you, but now he is useful to both you and to me. When someone hurts us, we tend to just write them off, don't we? Hey, I'm done with you. There's nothing you could say. There's nothing you could do that could, that could fix this. 
You're, as a matter of fact, I heard, I heard one person say about another person um, within the context of the local church, which is awful. Uh, this person said, said, this person is dead to me. How sad. But when there is unforgiveness and hurt within our hearts, we tend to just write another person off. They're no longer useful. That's tough. Remember last week we talked about validating hurt? That, that God validates our hurt. He sees our hurt. He knows our hurt. And he validates and he says, he says, says I, I see, I, I want you to know that your suffering has meaning. That it's not, it's not purposeless. But that doesn't give us the right to not practice the, the practice of forgiveness and reconciliation. What Paul is asking Philemon to do here is to give up his right to be right. Now, church, I don't know why the church of Jesus Christ is not good at this, but we're not good at this. People have turned and have walked away from the faith because someone hurt them, because someone said something about them. And in humility, Christians who... Who, sh- who should be known by how much they forgive because of how much they have been forgiven in Christ, we tend to hold on to that stuff. Paul is asking, appealing to Philemon, knowing how much he had been forgiven in Christ, to put away the desire to get his pound of flesh, to see the change that has been wrought in Onesimus. And to receive him back. Church, as believers, we should be known by our humility. But we should also, as believers, we should welcome accountability. We're naturally comparative by nature, aren't we? Um, I want to tell you a story. Um, there, there was a day when I used to cut my own lawn. Uh, when I turned 40, I decided I was done with that. And hired a 16. I, I never more excited than a 16 year old boy who came and knocked on my door and said, I'm cutting yards in our neighborhood. Can I cut yours? Yes, you most certainly can. Thank you very much. <laughs> I, have a, I have a neighbor. His name's Joe. Um, I don't know if he watches the live stream or not. I, I hope, but when I'm done with this, I hope not. Um, Joe, Joe, uh, lives next, Joe and Kristen live next to us. They have a pristine yard, they're out there all the time. They have this plush, beautiful, like fluffy St. Augustine grass in their yard. You know, it's green. They have, they have greenery and they have plants and they have, they have, they have all kinds of, of, of good things. And, and, you know, and you look at my yard. Now we rent our house. We don't, we don't own our house. We rent our house. And so like, I don't know that I don't care about our yard. I just don't really care about our yard. And so, um, you know, I just, I just have, have bigger fish to fry and you come home on, on, cause Saturday is the day that Joe cuts the yard. And so you come home and, and, and we come home on, on, because usually we leave early on Sunday mornings. But when I come home uh, uh, from church on Sunday, I look out and I see a freshly mown, manicured, wonderful, beautiful yard that's not mine. And, it, and I look at it and, and it used to, like, uh, we used to pull into the driveway and I'd go, fine, I'll get the mower out. And I'd get the mower out and I'd go mow the grass. I'd be angry. I'd be frustrated. And Joe, Joe didn't pay, pay any never mind to me. He was just taking care of his yard. But I spent my life comparing my yard to Joe's yard. I want what Joe has. Why can't I have what Joe has? Because I don't want to cut my yard the way he does, right? 
Paul is going to appeal in verses 12 through 14 to this comparative nature that Philemon has. He says, verse 12, I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to, to, to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf. Can you imagine what, what Philemon's thinking at this point? He thinks, oh, wait a minute, if you're going to keep him, I'll take him. Right? I mean, it's almost like a reverse psychology that, that Paul is using here. Like, look, I didn't, I didn't really want to send him back to you, but I'm, I'm doing it because I think it's the right thing. I think he can be useful to you. But I would love to have had him with me to be able to work, to be able to, to serve because he is not, or again, he's no longer useless. He is useful. He's Onesimus. Paul's going to twist the arm of Philemon a bit. He reminds him that I'm an old man, like do an old man's heart good. But he also says, I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Puts a, a little gentle pressure, holding Philemon accountable to do the things he should have been doing to begin with. And don't miss how he, how he does it. At some point, Paul shared the gospel with Philemon. There's an emotional connection. There is a relationship that's there that Paul is trying to make. He's not being manipulative, but he certainly wants it to be effective. Paul needs Philemon to show him some love. Do you know that as believers, we show love to a lost and fallen world by extending grace and extending love when it's not deserved. Church, given as much as we as believers know how much we've been forgiven, and look, only you, only you and God know how much you've been forgiven, because only you and God know how much sin is in your life. But can, can we all lay the, lay, lay the crowns down a little bit and just say, we've been forgiven plenty. As much as we've been forgiven, how could we ever look at someone else and say you're not worthy of forgiveness? You're not worthy of reconciliation. I want you to wallow in your pity. Paul goes to Philemon and he says, he says, I would love to have kept him with me, but I think more can be done by returning him to you. Church, the gospel gives us a completely new status before a holy God. There was a time when we were dead in our sins, we were dead in our trespasses. Dead spiritually, we were, we were literally, it says, the Bible says we were slaves to sin. And, and, and that was all in the past. Now we are his children. We are loved. We are forgiven. We are made whole. We are regenerate. The gospel has taken that which is completely broken and has made it alive on the inside. How can we not look at others and see them the way that God sees them? The gospel changes us inwardly and then it changes us outwardly. Paul had seen firsthand the transformation in both Philemon and Onesimus. And now he wants Philemon to experience the same thing. So Paul is going to move with great care and sensitivity. One thing you don't see at the end of this letter. Remember, this is a letter. Okay, so you're only seeing one side. 
we don't see how Philemon responds. And I think there's a certain uh, wisdom in that. That this isn't a narrative story. This isn't a parable that somebody is telling like, um, like Jesus was telling parables in his earthly ministry or Luke was chronicling the, um, uh, the, the beginnings of the local church. This is a letter written to a person. And I think on some level, we get to inject ourselves into this story. We get to say, how would we respond if that was us? I've heard it said that the wrong action at the wrong time leads to, leads to disaster. The right action at the wrong time brings about resistance. The wrong action at the, wrong, at the right time is a mistake. But the right action at the right time leads to success. Timing is everything. In Onesimus' case, Paul knew that it was Philemon who was responsible with where the story goes. But he also knew that the right thing to do was to send Onesimus back. Look at verse 14. He says, he says, I preferred to do nothing. He said, I, you know, I could have kept him here and let him serve, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. So he puts the ball in Philemon's court. Paul knew the call was Philemon's to make. He had a legal binding contract to bring Onesimus back into slavery. But he also had a, a particular spiritual responsibility. Paul says, I didn't want to do anything without your consent. It shows Paul's heart. He's not going to presume anything. He knew that Philemon and Onesimus needed to have a face-to-face -face meeting. I got a text one time from someone that had, had hurt me, which by the way, let's just back it up here. The absolute wrong way to handle conflict within two people is via text. You know that, right? <laughs> like, like that would be almost like in the old days going on AOL Instant Messenger and going, hey, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, like words on a page, like going to their MySpace page and DMing them, right? You know, um, Words on a page convey no emotion. Paul knew that, Paul could have sent word, he could have sent a message, kind of like in a first century DM, right? Slide into, into Philemon's DMs. Twelve of you know what I'm talking about, okay. Um, Paul could have sent a letter to say, hey listen, I've got Onesimus, all's well, he's become a Christian, he's now your brother, Good. you know, I'm going to hang out with him here, good luck to you. Paul understood that the only way for accountability to happen was through a face-to-face -face meeting. So much more happens, and sometimes you can't always have a face-to-face, -face, but you can't have a voice-to-voice -voice meeting. You can call somebody. If someone's hurt you, or if you've hurt somebody, Paul sends Onesimus back to have a face-to-face -face meeting. In the first world, in the first century world of slavery, there was an owner, and his slave was the owner's rightful property. At least until the debt was paid. When the time comes for us to resolve conflict, it's important to identify who is responsible 
and where the responsibility lies. You got to ask yourself, what is the right thing to do? Now, Christian, we have been shown through the, through the lens of the gospel what the right thing is to do. But Paul says, I don't want to compel you. I don't, want to, I don't want your goodness to come out of compulsion. I want it to come because Jesus Christ has changed you. And because you feel the need to do right by Christ. So what is your motivation? Paul says, I, I don't want your compulsion or your, your good deeds to be done out of obligation, but because you choose to. Paul's not going to demand anything out of Philemon. He says, I prefer to do nothing without your consent. The problem with our sin, you ever, you ever, heard, of, of, um, you ever heard of the butterfly effect? Where a butterfly flaps his wings and something across the world happens, is affected because of it? Our sin is very similar to the butterfly effect. As much as we want to think that our sin only affects us, our sin affects all of those around us. The choices that we make, the people that we hurt, the things that we do. Our sin has consequences. Our actions, the way we respond to stimuli doesn't just affect us. So, so church, let's, let's have the hard talk. What does this mean for us? Paul sends Onesimus back and sends him back to Philemon. And he says, he says you got to do something with this. He's going to stand on your front door. He's going to watch you read the letter. What's your response? Christian, what should our response be? Is there somebody that, that you've hurt that you need to call today, that you need to stand in front of today? And say, I'm sorry for what I've done. It may have happened yesterday, 10 years ago, longer. The God of creation says, I don't want to compel you to do what you know in your heart is right. But the gospel is what the gospel is. The gospel is about forgiveness. As believers, we should welcome accountability. But finally, we're almost done. As believers, we should recognize God's supremacy. Look at, look at verses 15 and 16. So when we talk about the sovereignty of God, we talk about God's providence. Those are big church words, but what do they mean? Literally, the word sovereignty, supremacy, means that God reigns over everything he created, which is everything. There's nothing that has been made that is beyond his authority or his power or his rule. And the good part is that nothing sneaks up on God. Nothing surprises God. There's no accidents, there's no accidents or coincidences. And so look at verse 15. He says, for this perhaps is why he was parted from you from a little while. Isn't it cool that God took Onesimus' sin from running from his debt and led him to Rome where he would trust Jesus as Savior? And God would take that which Onesimus meant for self-fulfillment and would use it to glorify himself. Paul says, maybe that's why he was parted from you for a little while, so that you might have him back forever, but not as a slave, but as a brother.
Church, I can't do anything about the hurt you've experienced. But I can say this. Only God can give your suffering value. Only God can take the hurt you've experienced, either from somebody or your circumstances. Only God can take the anxiety. Only God can take the depression. Only God can take the anguish and give it value. And so now, Onesimus and Philemon are back together. And it's not that they're just together for the duration of Onesimus' debt to Philemon. Now, regardless of how this conversation goes, they get to spend for eternity together forever in heaven. I don't want to get to heaven and see somebody that I failed to forgive and go, oh goodness, I get to spend eternity with you. Boy, I should have fixed that when I had the opportunity, shouldn't I? <laughs> Silly me. I know you've hurt. But there's a value to you in this life. That in the name of Christ, hear, don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? There's value not in just letting it go. It would be so easy for me to say in Christ, you just need to let it go. There's more of you than there are of me. I don't want to be tarred and feathered today. But church, hear what I'm saying. There's a value in Christ of letting it go. And not holding the other person responsible for the hurt they've caused. There's a, there's a quote that I once heard that, I, that I'll never forget. That forgiveness is letting a prisoner go free and realizing that prisoner was you. Forgiveness is letting a prisoner go free and realizing that prisoner was you. There's a man in the late 19th century, whose name was Horatio Spafford. Maybe you know of his name, maybe you don't. His family, they had four daughters. He and his wife had four daughters and one son. And in 1871, the great Chicago fire happened and Spafford lost a fortune in the fire. And need, thinking their family probably uh, needed a, a, a vacation. In the meantime, they, they lost their son to scarlet fever thinking it just can't get any worse, Horatio Spafford puts his family, his wife and his four daughters, on a boat to London. They're going to go spend some time over in Europe and just try to, try to gather the broken pieces of their lives. On the, on the way to London, the boat, in the midst of fog, wound up colliding with another ship and went down. When Horatio Spafford's wife gets to London... She telegraphs her husband that their four daughters had died. She sent, she sent a telegram that said, saved alone, what shall I do now? So 
Horatio Spafford gets his, his clothes together and he's going to go to be with his wife who's now grieving their son and now grieving their four daughters. And, and, and he gets on the boat. And as he's, as he's on the boat, he's, he's, he's in anguish. He's grieving over the loss of his stuff and over the loss of their fortune and over the loss of his children. And what are they going to do now? How am I going to face my wife? What, what, what am I going to tell her? And he gets a, a note from the captain that says, would you join me on the bridge? And the captain had stopped the boat. And he says, Horatio, this is, this is the spot where your daughters died. This is where their ship went down. I thought you might just want to pay your respects. Horatio Spafford takes, takes a, a stationary from, from the Brevert house. And he goes out onto the deck of the ship asking God to to show him how am I supposed to feel here? And he writes these words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Friend, I don't know where where you're hurting today or what's hurt you. Can I tell you in Christ? Can you let it go today? Can you let go of that debt that somebody owes to you that you might find peace like a river? Horatio Spafford and his wife would later move to Jerusalem and become missionaries. And they would open a hotel where they would share the gospel out of for the rest of their life. It's called the American Colony Hotel. The stationery from the Brevert House where he wrote those famous lyrics of my favorite hymn, by the way, are on display And even in the generations after their death, still continue to preach the gospel. I don't know what you're struggling with today, but the Lord wants you to let it go for the gospel and for your own good. God could compel you to do what he's already done in spades for you, but in love, he doesn't want to compel you. He wants to appeal to you today. Whatever you're harboring, if you can have that conversation, let it go. If you can't have that conversation, let it go and be healed. In just a moment, I'm going to pray, and then you're going to be invited to make your way out. Pastor Matt will be, actually, the photo booth is going to be over here. Pastor Matt is going to be back over here. He's the guy in the black polo. Um, If you're a guest with us, we would love to connect with you before you leave today. Thank you all so much for being here. Let me pray to close this out and then we'll be dismissed. Father, we love you and we honor you. As we go, we thank you for your love and your kindness and your care and your compassion on us. As we leave this place today, Father, may we be reminded that forgiveness is not about the other person. It is about you. It's about how much you've forgiven. And if we are truly going to be like Christ, then we too must forgive others.
And God, we don't know how Philemon responded. But Father, we know how you responded to us. That you showed us love and compassion while we were still dead in our sins. So Father, as we leave this place today, may we go knowing that your love goes before us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.